Hello, Durant. How's it going? Uh, Sean, it's going very well. I'm very, uh, very happy here in Wales with my family, just eating some food and um, loving your show. Oh, I really appreciate that. What on earth made you want to get into investment analysis? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I was um, selling trinkets in Goa uh, when I was about 23. And I think my mum got a little bit worried about what where my life was going. My hair was down to my uh, ass. Uh, I had a sort of four earrings. And uh, she got my brother to get me a job in investment banking. And the way he persuaded me was by saying, listen, you may be having a good time just sort of mucking around on a beach selling sort of earrings to hippies. But actually, uh, you could earn a couple of hundred grand in two years, and then you could do this for the next 20 years without worrying about it. And I said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then after two years, I was earning more than my dad. I thought, oh, I might as well just do it another year. And I said that for 10 years, for 10 more years. So I was like a bank, you know, I was like a bank robber, you know, in one of those films where he keeps on saying, I'm just going to do one more job, just one more. I just said, I'll just do one more year. And I kept on doing that. And then towards the end of that period, someone offered me the opportunity to write an anonymous column exposing all the shenanigans that uh, I was feeling a little bit guilty about. I was brought up quite Christian. My dad was a Labour MP, all that stuff. And then I wrote a book exposing it all just as the financial crisis happened called City Boy. And uh, by some miracle, it, it did quite well. I've just got a message from Ash. He's wondering if you could nudge your head up a bit on your screen. Oh, sorry, mate. Yeah. No yeah, worries. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Is that so, cool? yeah, yeah. Looks like I've got Tell horns. About... <laughs> <laughs> very, very, fit, very fitting. Very fitting for a city boy. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. So, all right. So, you know, how easy was it to make this money then? I mean, did, was there a lot of work involved in the beginning? You know, my particular skill set wasn't really spreadsheets and analysis and all that sort of thing. My particular skill set was taking clients out uh, to Rolling Stone concerts and uh, maybe to Wimbledon and maybe to uh, watch England play rugby at Twickenham. Um, Sometimes providing them with illicit substances, which was a very good way of, um, you know, ensuring they were on side and wouldn't forget me when it came to dishing out their commission. Uh, lots of champagne a bit of, um, you know, strip joints. I mean, got to remember, this was late 90s and the noughties. And it wasn't just called the noughties, uh, you know, because it happened to be the first 10 years of the new century. Uh, so I found the job, without sounding arrogant, I found it relatively easy. But that's because I had a bunch of very, very clever people. We, the, the boys we called the rocket scientists doing a lot of smart work. And so my job was more entertaining charming people believe it or not and uh i enjoyed it it was all right but um i did have misgivings about some of the stuff i saw you know i know your show is tends to be interested in quite sexy crimes like I, i've you know been things gangsters killing each other but i suppose the point i'd want to make is that the financial crime that's going on actually affects your listeners your viewers a hell of a lot more probably unless they're the unlucky one percent than you know Essex lads getting shot in, you know, or, or any of that stuff. It, it, the stuff that was going on, the 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 money laundering, insider trading, some of the market manipulation, all that stuff has an impact, even if it's just your pension fund. So it, it was, it's quite not, not maybe not quite as sexy as some of the crime you tend to look at, but it's it's significant. It's important. What was the first thing that made you raise your eyebrows? 
There was just an attitude. Uh, it was really clear that everyone thought that the party was going to come to an end at any minute from the moment I got in there. So like in 2001, we had Enron come down and everyone went, okay, that's it. Party's over. Um, I think it was 1997, a few years before that, 1998, a huge hedge fund called LTCM crashed. Everyone went, that's it. That's a wrap. You know, uh, then we had the Russia crisis, the Asia crisis, every time. And so that mentality ensured that we were all just like, OK, make money, make money, because the, this casino that we're all just making sort of shitloads of cash, sorry, um, it is going to come crashing down at any minute. So so just do what you have to do. And there was generally an attitude, you know, insider trading was rife. That was clear from the word go. Sp- spreading false rumors, which is a form of market manipulation that was very common then. So, you know, if, you, if, you're, if your trader's got loads of a certain share on the books, he would say, uh, spread a rumor that it's about to be taken over. The share would go up 8%, 10%, and then you just sell that share. All this stuff is increasing the risk and the, and the cost of capital, and all that's bad for investment. Insider trading, everyone thinks it's a victimless crime, but actually, essentially, it's hedge fund boys stealing money off your granny. Because what would happen is they'd hear from some corporate lawyer or some you know, secretary in the, in, the, in the corporate finance department of an investment bank that a company was going to get taken over. They would then buy a shed load of shares. The st- stock price would always go up. And then they'd buy those shares off the pension fund that, that you know, there's in ignorance of all the good things we can have. And then, the, sure enough, the, 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 the company would get taken over and it would be, you know, 30, 40 percent premium. And your poor granny and her pension has just been basically had money stolen off it. Billions, you know. And then, of course, there was uh, money laundering. And actually, London has got the reputation of being the biggest. It's the money laundering capital of the world, which is, you know, embarrassing. And whatever crime you're doing, if it involves money, you need to clean that money up. And believe it or not, the capital of our country has been involved in cleaning up dodgy money for decades. It, it invented offshore banking, it, it, you know, and it, it's and since the Russians invaded 20 years ago, it's become known as London Grad. You know, it, it's it is just a hotbed of cleaning up dirty money. And, and that that we should all be a, a tad embarrassed about that, frankly. Well, it's interesting what you said. They would take the shares from the pension funds instead of buying them in the open market. Was that because if they bought them in the open market, it would cause the price to rocket or it would leave some kind of paper trail? Well, what I meant really was that when they were buying them, they would, you know, they would, they would say, I'm going to offer this price. I'm going to offer this price. And pension funds who weren't too sure about the value of that share would go, yeah, okay, we'll sell, we'll sell. The price would start ra- rising and rising and rising. But it was generally those fast and loose hedge fund boys who were, you know, they were the ones who were involved in insider trading because they had so much to gain because they were, as you probably know, paid on a two and 20 basis, which means they got 20% of anything that, that, that the, that the, the, the fund that they were managing went up so if they were running a billion pound fund it went up 20 percent. that's 200 million they'd get 40 million quid you know and that that's not to be sniffed at so basically their incentive their their, their risk reward analysis which after all is what f- runs financial markets is just assessing the risk of an asset and the reward you can get from it that is basically uh what they were doing the risk of getting caught was nothing the rewards were astronomical so every single company 
that was in the sector that I had the misfortune to look at, which is the, the European utility sector. Before they got taken over, they announced their takeover. Their share price always went up 10, 15 percent. And then the company was forced to, to issue an uh, announcement saying, oh, um, we've seen the share price move. And yes, we are in talks that may or may not lead to a, uh, an offer for the company. So it was just a whole short term reckless gambling. It was just it, it, the whole mentality was why we created products. We knew we we're going to blow up at a later date, irrespective of the harm that it would cause society. And that's exactly what happened in 2007, 8, 9. Hmm. So we got, we got one of the uh, questions in the chat here from Matthew Steeples. What does Mr. Anderson think of the scandal of Pierce Morgan at the Mirror with £67,000 of, of Viglan shares? You know what? I haven't seen anything. I have to say, since I left, I have been, um, you know, trying to keep my nose clean and not listen, not read the financial pages. Uh, I, I don't know what that's about. I imagine what it it's about is that if it's that scandal from a very long time ago, it's to do with the fact that they found out he bought shares in a company that was about to be acquired. And it was literally the day before, if I remember that. And that's from like a decade ago, unless I'm, unless there's a new scandal that I'm uh, uh, unaware of. And, and yet, I mean, the problem with insider trading is it's so hard to prove. You have to literally, if, if I, even if I was the corporate finance guy at Viglan or whatever it was called, and I rang up Piers Morgan the day before it got taken over and he immediately bought a million pounds worth of shares or 67,000 pounds, Unless you can prove that I absolutely gave that information over the phone, he can just say we were just talking about Arsenal or some other equally tedious or Prince Harry, how much he hates Prince Harry, which would probably be a more likely topic of conversation for that particular Muppet. So you mentioned earlier long-term capital management Enron. I mean, Enron was the biggest contributor to the Bush crime family at one time in political contributions. They were flying yeah. around in the en Enron uh, planes and everything. I read a few books on that, uh, the, the shredding of the documents and everything. So, you know, earlier on, you said that everybody braced for the party to end. But mm. isn't it the case that these corporations are so interweaved with the politicians that there's this corporate welfare whereby they're bailed out every time? by the banks, uh, the government, and they say that, you know, it's in the interest of stabilizing the economy, this could spread and go all yeah. around the world. And one way or the other, the, 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 these guys never, the party never ends, does it? No, I know. That's what you think. Every time it does it, you keep on thinking it's about to end. Even 2008-9, it didn't end. Even when they made it so that bonuses can only be double your basic, they just made the basic salary that much higher. So, and you're quite right. I mean, the, the, the beauty or the, the horror of the banks being these huge corporations is that they were too big to fail. So that meant that they could legitimately look at, you know, Gordon Brown and say, listen, if you don't do something, we've got a trillions worth of derivatives here. We've got this, we're so interconnected, we're so massive that we'll go down and there'll be a domino effect. And then we saw that. We saw Bear Stearns go down. Then we saw Lehman's go down. Then we had Fannie Mae, Fannie Mac. We had Northern Rock, obviously, in this country. And suddenly, it, I mean, at one point, I remember George Bush, he is actually didn't realize his mic was still on. And he said something like, this, this sucker could go down. I don't know if you remember that. In 2008, like it, it just about 10 days after Lehman's went. So it would have been like October 2008. And he, I, I mean, unless he was talking cobblers just for effect and knew he was being recorded, et cetera, et cetera. There was a genuine feeling 
that it could be like capitalism's wheels could 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 come to clog up and there would be you know we, we don't know we'd be back to bartering or something it, it was it was that it was scary it was I, I don't know if you if you know you you can remember but the, the, the smell of fear in the square mile was intense it was like 29 it's 1929 people were thinking it was going to be and you're, but you're absolutely like some of the bank shares went down to pennies, didn't they? But didn't Absolutely. the politicians who knew they were going to get bailouts started to buy them right away when they were down in, in the pennies? I, 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 I think there was some of that going on. I mean, the, the thing is, it's, it's like, you know, it's like the money laundering as well. The reality is, is that Tony Blair was essentially inviting all these dodgy Russian oligarchs to come over to this country. He started off, I think under him, they started offering this golden visa scheme where basically you could buy citizenship for this country, you know, if you had enough cash. And they didn't ask any questions about where your money came. They'd just been stealing it off the people of Russia. And, um, you know, Boris Johnson, they, they all essentially was – he, I think he said, yeah, let's make this a hub for, for Russian, dodgy Russian money. Mm. Uh, and now that we're, the Ukraine wars happened, obviously there's going to be sanctions. And it, it's going to have uh, economic – impact on this country because we've got so much dodgy money i mean i think there's about uh, two billion quids worth of of houses in london that have been bought by shell companies that have been uh, reflected with have been associated with russian oligarchs you know there, there wow. is eighty eight thousand four hundred massive homes in london who people don't know who actually own them they're they're, they're, they're just shell company after shell company after shell company the, the corruption and the problem with all this Russian money and all that is that that corruption spreads. So it goes into the legal firms that are giving them legal advice. It goes into the accountancy firms. It goes into politicians. They start buying um, access to up to the you know prime minister. They start buying newspapers like the Evening Standard, Lebved. They start buying Chelsea Football Club. You know what I mean? It, it spreads from the city out. And because of the city of London is one of the few surviving decent well i say decent in a very i'm not sure decent's the right word um large successful um part industry that we still have in this country they're, they're willing to just bend over backwards and they, and it's it's you know chickens are coming home to roost now so are these wealthy russians cronies of putin or are they people putin have, has been trying to knock off i think i think more the former than the latter as far as i know I mean, it, it does strike me that, you know, finally people have come to come to realize that Roman Abramovich and his lot, you know, they, they, they are, I think, more cronies than uh, than otherwise. But I think, um, you know, it strikes me that they seem to be it, it, the way I think it worked with Putin. I don't know. As not, I'm not that familiar, but essentially he's running a kleptocracy that is just taking over essentially like a gangster, as far as I'm aware. And what he's done is essentially said to these guys, um, okay, we all know the, the name of the game here. I want 20% of everything you make. And if you don't, I'll imprison you, like he did with that Kodorsky guy, if you can pronounce it. You haven't had enough to drink. Uh, and anyway, you know, that, that's been his style. So I think, um, you know, fear, a, a game of fear, and it's a bit like those sort of Mexican gangsters, or is it plomo or plato? You know, it's lead or silver, your choice. And... It's a gangster. It's a gangster country. You've been asked by Matthew Steeples. Any thoughts on Bernie Madoff and his London operation? Well, Bernie Madoff, I mean, that man 
he is he was an extraordinary character he ran a ponzi scheme that i believe if i remember correctly was worth 65 billion dollars at one point um a load of a-listers got conned and you know I'm unaware of exactly what his London operation was. I thought he's pretty much based in America and that most of the victims were American. Um, a lot in the Jewish community because he could, he was using that as his kind of, you know, as, as an entry point. Um, yeah. I mean, just an indicator, you know, Warren Buffett said these kind of schemes, they work until the markets stop working. And then, as he says, when the tide goes out, you find out who's naked. And my God, I have to say, you know, when I think of Ponzi schemes, I think of Bernie Madoff. But I am also in that camp that thinks Bitcoin might be a Ponzi scheme as well. Just a very clever Ponzi scheme that's um, that may come to an end. So, yeah, don't know why I got into Bitcoin. But anyway. No, I agree. It's, it's computer code, isn't it? It's like the tulip bulbs of the modern yeah. era. Um, got a question here. Any thoughts on Jess Staley of Barclays and JP Morgan? I'm very sorry to say I don't know who that character is. As I say, Fred, and I, I, Fred, Fred the Shred. <laughs> that's what. That's that's. Oh, was he the guy who who took out um, did loads of job cutting at Barclays? But this is some time ago, right? You have to Google this. This has just been put in yeah. the chat. Is this Fred, Fred the Shred? The... That rings a bell. Fred the Shred. Jesus, I'm really dredging. I haven't, you know, I haven't looked at finance in any serious way for a decade. Um, but I am pleased to say that those few people who still talk to me in the square mile tell me it is just as corrupt as it always was. There's compliance is a lot tougher these days, but people are just, they're clever, you know. The uh, way, there, was the, the, article, there was an article in The Guardian, Fred the Shred, <laughs> the irresistible rise and rise of a ruthless charmer. Royal Bank of Scotland's 44-year-old yeah. chief executive, cursed with a nickname conferred on him when he went through a cost-cutting period as head of the Clydesdale and Yorkshire banks. Is he? He's yeah. the guy who was at. Um, he was chief. Was he chief executive of Royal Bank of Scotland? And it was. And he's another one who was shown to to be, you know, absurdly ambitious. And when the tide went out and the bottom fell out of the uh, subprime market he 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 was one of the one of the guys like the northern rock guy you know all these people i mean i do have a view that a lot of them are psychopaths actually i'm currently writing a little book about this and i what i mean by that is they that the people who i saw who did best in the financial markets in the city and the chief executives that i met they had um a complete lack of empathy. There was a complete, uh, no pity, no remorse. They showed themselves to be hyper decisive, not prone to, I mean, there were some good aspects of psychopathy in a funny sort of way, you know, so if you can be a great soldier, you can be, a, you know, an amazing chief executive. If you have certain aspects of psychopathy in your, in your armor, you can be very decisive. You don't get, you don't suffer from groupthink. You don't, um, you can think outside the box. You can, um, you know, make tough decisions and be strong. You'd be like Logan Ooh. Roy in succession. However, I saw a lot of psychopaths who went beyond the the level of it being a bonus to your 
and a lot of them i swear they i mean if you ever saw dick um oh jesus who was the head of lehman's fold dick fold i think his name was that's the guy who said if he's ever met someone shorting his shares he'd rip out his heart and eat it in front of him while it was still beating and that's on camera it just gets the most and you just know that man he just it's a pure psychopath and there's a lot of those in the square mile there's a lot of those in finance and um they're uh, they're brutal people. With so much money at stake, Durant, did anybody did you ever hear of anybody getting killed? I don't know. I don't know about that. I I, I mean, it would be done. It would be done so cleverly, wouldn't it? I mean, it's it's. I I don't. To be honest, I'd love to be able to give you a story. I, I've heard of. I think I've heard of threats, but they tended to be legal. You know, they tended to be. And you know that some people, they got private private detectives to look out for them. If they wanted, they, they had some troublemaker. No, I never saw, I never heard of someone getting killed. There, might, there was, I mean, there was obviously the guys involved in sort of dodgy gold mines in, in you know, the Far East. There's a famous story about, was it Brex getting thrown out of helicopters because they, they, they made it all up, you know, and this kind of thing. Um, and, you know, the, 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 there was money laundering, as I said, it was is a massive business, and at the certain end of that, you're going to get some very nasty characters. Um, HSBC was heavily fined, massively fined for this, and they were they were money laundering for the Mexican drug cartels. But I'm afraid I was always on the slightly more boring side of things. I was just witnessing the white collar crime, less less of the you know the gangster stuff. Yeah, the HSBC. Fine was a record amount of money um, back when it happened with the cartel mm-hmm. and they actually brought me in they flew out from Asia and uh, did a compliance video with me because I'm a convicted money launderer which they made every single one of the staff members watch um, to show that a money launderer isn't necessarily a tattooed looking criminal looking that <laughs> they picked they picked me because I look so normal. The fine was one point nine billion in twenty twelve money laundering yeah, yeah. for the for the for the cartels of Mexico. Well there were some rumors yeah. that they that they wouldn't have they needed this cash to stay afloat because of the financial crisis. And it wasn't just um if I remember, it wasn't just the Mexican drug cartels. There was some terrorist money in there as well, possibly from Iran and stuff. And, you know, it was it's just like the morals went the, the few morals that existed just went out the window. And one of the funny things is when we used to every year, we used to have to do a compliance uh, exam about money laundering. And believe me, we never did that once. We just got our, our graduate trainee to do it every time. So I should be like pretty expert on the whole subject. But like what everyone in my entire team all eight of us, we never did it once. It was too much hassle, couldn't be asked. And I bet that attitude was pervasive throughout the, the, the you know, the square mile. No, it, it, just the ignorance. If you're making money, you know, people don't question you. It's only when shit hits the fan that suddenly, um, you know, problems start and people actually start looking around and trying to find people who are guilty. Question from Ray J. Does Voldemort Zelinsky own several London homes, including a 17 apartment block? <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the thing is about um, 
Zelensky and get is that I, I mean you know he's obviously considered to be pretty corrupt, but um, he's been painted as a, a, a sort of white knight right now because that's in the interest of the West. But I suppose it's all relative, isn't it? Perhaps compared to Putin, he's uh, he's uh, not that bad. But no, I'm sorry, I don't know about any particular apartment blocks he owns. We've only got a few minutes left. So what is LIBOR and how is it manipulated? So that is the London Interbank Offered Rate. That is the thing that dictates that. So at about a certain time, people were bankers who were trading short term cash were be um, phoned up by the Bank of England. And they, that would dictate what the London Interbank, what, what they're selling each other. The, the, the price they're selling each other um, uh, bank for uh, cash for. And essentially what was found out was that people were just ringing each other up on their mobiles before the Bank of England called and then making up numbers to suit their own trading activities so they could maximize their profits. And I think it was, um, it was Adam Smith, uh, you know, Wealth of Nations and all that, who said, as soon as three people of any industry get together, the fir- or three or more, the first thing they talk about is how they can manipulate markets to increase their profits. And, you know, it is just unfortunately natural in human nature to make as much money as quickly as humanly possible. And when, the, when you look at the, the city of London, it attracts a certain type of people, and that is arrogant, clever, greedy people. Those are the three, and competitive. And a lot of the bonus system, what it did was it made, it was a number, and that number was the market telling you what a wonderful human being you were. So if I got a, half as much as the guy from Goldman's, I knew the market was valuing him as twice as much valuable as I am. And that was a big incentive to do everything I could to increase my bonus and if that meant creating financial products that i knew would explode and harm society i'd do it so yeah i mean i i'm afraid uh the rumors are true the cliches are true and i don't know if it's got any better since i left the market maybe it has but it's it's the it's it's a corrupt industry that understandably there's so much money going around that people it brings out the worst in people and actually make it, it encourages psychopathy, psychopathy, and it rewards psychopathy, psychopathy. God, if you can say it, you're doing better than me. And human nature is immutable, hence it never changes. It, I'm afraid not. I mean, it would be nice yeah. as if we could be, um, you know, if we could, uh, what was the old line? If uh, communism would be nice if uh, everyone was perfect, it would work, but then it wouldn't be needed. <laughs> <laughs> We have run out of time, Durant. Do you want to tell no the viewers where they can find you and support you? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter at, at City Boy London, um, and that's about it, really. I mean, and I'm uh, living a fairly quiet life now, occasionally commenting on stuff uh, that that is of interest. But yeah, it's it's been nice to be on your show, Sean. Very much enjoyed that. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. You're a very charismatic speaker, so thank you. Have a great rest of your evening, my friend. Take care. Cheers, mate. You too. Cheers.